At AJ Products, we offer workplace solutions for office, school, warehouse and environment. But at AJ, we do things differently. Our approach to quality and innovation means we design and make many of our own products, giving a more unique and personal service to our customers. Like our sound absorbency screens, office panelling and our style metal storage cabinets. All designed and built by AJ Products. Visit ajproducts.ie or call 01 28 11 700. AJ Products. Surprisingly more. Ask AJ. Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Uh, once again, as you always do on a Tuesday, it's time to look uh, outside our borders uh, and see what's going on in some other countries in other parts of the world. Jonathan DeBurka Butler, as ever, is our guy. Jonathan, good afternoon. Sean, how are you doing? Uh, right, Myanmar, uh, we're going to go to uh, first, or Myanmar uh, stroke UK. Uh, who is this former ambassador who, who's rushed to Britain? Yeah, so this is uh, a man by the name of Chow Zwar Min, and he, up until a few days ago, uh, was the ambassador uh, for Myanmar to the UK, right? And uh, everything was going grand. So as you know, there was obviously there's the coup that's mm. happening in in, uh, in Myanmar, and that's been going on since February, right? So obviously, uh, because the democratically elected government has been kicked out and there's a new government in place and they're obviously um sort of changing their diplomats a little bit and and they they would as you would suspect they would do um not be too keen on people who are you know openly criticizing them in the international world right and that's exactly what this particular man did so chow zwar min was effectively locked out of his embassy i think he went out for a walk one day and he came back and the doors were were, were closed um now he sort of announced that to the world media and um the uk government were fairly quick to offer him what they're calling temporary shelter right he he actually spent the night in his car would you believe outside the embassy as a kind of a protest and he's asking the british government not to recognize um any new officials that are appointed by the current government however it's not in their gift to do that, uh, unfortunately, from his point of view. So according to the Vienna Convention on Diplomatic Relations, uh, an ambassador's job ends once the host country has been informed. And Myanmar, junta or not, uh, have informed the British government that um, he's no longer their ambassador uh, and they're they're obviously going to appoint, appoint somebody else. Now, whether that new person will be recognised uh, or not, uh, uh, is another is another question altogether. I, th- mm. I assume the UK has to, to be honest with you. Um, although they have been critical of of the military junta, it should be said. Yeah, yeah. I suppose it's an internal matter for Myanmar, no matter how much you might disapprove of what's going on there. The 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 the, uh, the now previous ambassador, though, is it clear what's going to happen to him? Because I imagine he mightn't be too keen to fly home. Yeah, I, he 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 won't be, and I think this is why the UK government are leaving it vague, right? So they they are very sure in their wording right they're they're basically saying to him look we're here for you so don't worry okay so they're saying a temporary shelter and we'll look at your future legal status in the uk and 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 they've said in in a statement basically that will depend on his plans and the future of myanmar 
So they're leaving it open for him to look for immunity, I imagine, uh, or whatever he or asylum or whatever he'll mm. uh, you know apply for in this particular instance. Uh, so it'd be an interesting one because he could be a real thorn in the side of um, of uh, the military junta because he's already got a bit of a profile for himself now after this, you know. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, they they didn't play that very cleverly, uh, no. uh, one could say. Right, uh, Kyrgyzstan we're going to go to next. Uh, and there's an investigation there into police negligence. Yeah, it's it's around uh, uh, a bit of a, a bit, well, not a bit of a tragic story, completely tragic story um, a 20, involving a 27-year-old woman by the name of uh, Izada Kanatbekova. Um, look, she... she to, she was kidnapped, right? She was kidnapped in broad daylight. And I've actually seen the footage and it's pretty harrowing stuff. Uh, it's like there's two cars parked on, on um, uh, a path and there's actually a person crossing the road. You can see them going really innocently over a pedestrian crossing. You can't actually see their face, so you don't know if they're witnessing this thing. But this woman was bundled into the back of a car by four people. She's clearly really distressed. She, she's she's not giving them, them permission at all to do this. And two days later, this poor 27-year-old was found dead, uh, along with the person who kidnapped her. And it looks like it was one of these bride kidnappings, which happen in some countries around the world. And it was such a, I'll put it to you this way, it's it was and has been and still is such a problem in Kyrgyzstan that they outlawed it in 2013 and so what i mean by that is they obviously recognize it as being a problem such a problem that they had to outlaw it but it hasn't had the desired effect um in in all corners of of life in kyrgyzstan and unfortunately this woman uh, is is another victim of of this particular tradition for for want of a better word and the tradition is what they just kidnap women to force them to marry someone yeah basically that's it it's like um if you might want to block little ears, but basically a woman is taken, she's raped, and then they go back to the family and they say, I've just raped your daughter and uh, you need to you need to hand her over to me, basically, or you will be shamed. And that's what it is. Uh, it's kind of all about honor and all of this kind of thing. And uh, so that's that's what happened in this case. It's it, the, the, the kidnapper, as I said, he was found dead. It, it appears that he strangled the woman and then he committed suicide. And um, what's shocking about this is that in the two the two days in between, she had actually communicated with her mother and her aunt, and they had gone to the police, but the police had ignored their pleas uh, for for them to go and try and track track her down. Um, so that is why people are now out on the streets uh, protesting uh, and looking for more to be done around this particular phenomenon. Yeah, well, that's and that would kind of imply perhaps as a cultural problem. Uh, yeah, it uh, is. In, yeah, in general about this, my word. Right, uh, Pakistan. Uh, we're going to go to next, and uh, they've lifted their ban on TikTok. Yay for free speech! Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is the second time uh, that Pakistan officials have uh, lifted a ban on on TikTok. Now, I don't know the specific cases that they were referring to. Right when they shut them down for immoral and unethical content. But TikTok have come back now and they basically said that they they will filter and moderate content. And it's very popular in Pakistan. It's been downloaded apparently 39 million times. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, wannabe stars and starlets out there. Um, but not not all of Pakistani society, as you can imagine, is, you know, too keen on, on, on women in mm. particular and girls. Uh, 
you know, who might be dancing for the camera and that kind of thing. And and they basically say, you know, that, you know, promotes the exploitation and the objectification and sexualization of, of, of young girls. So that was the reason it's it's been closed down twice. The reason that it might have been opened up so quickly is because it's Chinese and the Pakistanis are not massive fans from a political point of view of upsetting the Chinese um, because uh, they are very close business partners um, very heavily involved in the one belt, one road, one belt scheme um, and that kind of thing. So uh, I don't know if that informed the decision of the court to, to drop the ban, but it, it might have had something to do with it. My word. Right, uh, Jordan, we're going to go to you next. And uh, this was uh, this was reported a bit in, in the last week or so. Was it a coup, Jonathan, or, or was it something else? Uh, we don't really know. Um, this is in, in, in Jordan, and it involves 41-year-old Prince uh, Hamza bin uh, al-Hussein, who is the half-brother of King Abdullah, right? So there's a, a gap of about 18 years between them. They have the same father, but they have different mothers, right? Um, so that was King Hussein who died when 1998. And around about 2004, 2005, the current king, King Abdullah, dropped Prince Hamza from the royal... Uh, there was a Prince Harry done on it, shall we say, <laughs> right? So he, he's, he's now known as a former crown prince, right? So uh, there would be, I suppose, a reason for Prince Hamza not to be too happy with his brother, the foreign minister and the deputy prime minister came out early in the month and they basically said that Prince Hamza had been put under house arrest. Uh, they said that about 20 other people had also been arrested and that they had stopped a coup or what they they said they had at least intercepted certain communications around what they thought was something that was going to disrupt the state. Right. So they kind of chose their words carefully. Uh, that could have been you know, potentially dangerous. Um, so this is what they're saying, but we know very little about it because there's been a gag order put on it um, in Jordan. So the media are not being allowed to report on it. So there's an awful lot of speculation. Last Sunday, the two, that is the two brothers, the two half brothers appeared at a ceremony together. And this was probably some sort of show of unity that everything's OK between them now. Um, so it, it, it's hard to know if, if there was anything in place. There are suggestions that a plane was provided by a foreign power. Uh, to get Prince Hamza out of the country should the coup, inverted commas, not be successful. But there are others who seem to suggest that this is some sort of, uh, you know, a kind of a plot against Prince Hamza, who is quite uh, popular within the country himself. Right. Right. Now, next up is the Democratic Republic of Congo, where there has been or there is a strike. Uh, um, why are there strikes going on there? Yeah, it's a funny one. This um, this is happening in the eastern part of the country on the border with Uganda. OK, and so um, it's a fairly dangerous part of the world, to be honest with you. So mm. so if we take one of the towns, one of the cities, I should say, because they're, they're quite big, the two cities that are involved, Beni and Butembo, that between them, they've got about nearly a million citizens. And if we bear in mind that there was a massacre in Beni in August of 2016 in which 64 people died, and we know an awful lot about the First and Second um, Congo Wars that you know happened in that region, uh, it's a pretty dangerous part of the world, right? And there is a group called the Allied Demo Democratic Forces, okay, who are a group of militants. They've been operating there since 1996, and they've been responsible for about 2,000 murders in the area since the middle of 2017, right? So they've been operating on and off there for a very long time. So locals are getting a bit sick 
of them. All right. And they are not happy with the way that the government and the United Nations who, you know, who have representatives there, um, who have a peacekeeping mission there, in fact, are dealing with these people. So they've decided that they're going to shut down the economy to show how unhappy they are. But worryingly, some groups have gone further and have decided that they're going to go off um, and, and try and find these, you know, these militants uh, and take the law into their own, own hands. Um, and in a region that is so fraught with tension and has been for years, uh, that's probably not a good thing at all. But yes, there's a strike there at the moment and, mm. and it's a complete shutdown. What do the militants want? <laughs> that is a very good question. And, and I mean, so th- th- they are tagged with the Islamist um, tag, okay? Mm-hmm. But it's not known for sure if they really are that... Um, uh, attached to it, shall we say, right? Um, uh, and they're just a gang of thugs, really, who go around the place, um, att- go between the borders of U- Uganda and the DRC, uh, attacking villages and, and basically plundering. Um, mm. So it's hard to know what they want, Sean, in all honesty. Uh, right. Uh, uh, Italy, we're going to go to, uh, lastly, uh, the uh, uh, the US Treasury, deeply concerned, because is it a small shopkeeper or somebody who's going to sue them from Italy? Yeah, this is a graphic design company, Sean, a man by the name of uh, Alessandro Bazzoni. Uh, he has a graphic design company in Sardinia. And unfortunately, one of the legacies of the, the Trump era was, of course, his relationship with uh, Venezuela. And in 2019, um, Trump's government imposed sanctions on Venezuela state oil company, right, in order to try and get as at Nicolas Maduro, one of the favorites, one of our favorites on this particular slot. And on his last day of office, Trump sanctioned a a network of oil firms and individuals that were tied to that particular oil company. And the name that came up was Alessandro Bazzoni. Now, it wasn't just this guy, the graphic designer in Sardinia, but it was also uh, a restaurant owner in Verona of the same name who got put onto a blacklist (laughs) and so therefore couldn't do business. And this guy, the graphic designer, says that he's going to sue uh, the U.S. Treasury um, for losses, presumably, and uh, you, one would imagine that because he hasn't been able to do business, uh, that he has made quite a bit of a loss. So he might have a case, although they may not respond. Right, and uh, there's been no explanation as to how his name got on this list. No, it's a case of mistaken identity, and apparently a leaked source uh, said that they knew about it back in January, and the question around it is now, why didn't they take action? So they knew they got the wrong people. Uh, but they didn't take corrective action and nobody really knows why. So in the meantime, this guy has to go and open, you know, because there's major fraud laws in Italy and all that kind of thing. So you have everything has to be done, you know, above board. Mm. But they always do it that way. But anyway, um, uh, but if you're running a business, you have to have a proper bank account and he doesn't have one. So he's in great difficulty. Crikey. Jonathan, uh, thanks a million as ever. Jonathan de Burke, Butler there. Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Today, you can alleviate stress on your company finances and stress on the electricity grid by participating in demand response with NLX. By adjusting your energy usage for just a few hours per year, your business could receive a welcome revenue boost. And we could all benefit from a more sustainable future. With NLX, the power really is in your hands. To find out more, visit demandresponse.ie.